God is definitely not someone that is being preached about in most churches. We tend to think that there is only A and B with God because there's only A and B with us. God's a lover and he's a forgiver, but I think a big misconception is that that's all that God is. God is as just as he is loving. Our minds can't even comprehend how great he is, how big he is, how fast he is. And the Bible tells us that he loves us, he is love, but the Bible also tells us to fear God. He's not our BFF. God is someone that loves us so much that uh, he will remove things out of our life that we hold on to. You do not define God. I do not define God. God is self-defining. God is not a matter of opinion. Yeah, this is the Let God Die podcast. This is Josh. And this is Calvin. Calvin's got his, his pita bread yes. on hand. I got my coffee. And we're ready to go. Today we're going to be talking to... Um, Aaron Long, he's a musician from a state, I believe, Maryland. I believe it is Maryland. We'll confirm with him. Um, but he shared a story um, at a show recently and wanted to have him share it and just sit down and hear his story. So we're going to give him a call and hop right into it. All right, so Aaron Long, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Where are you from? What do you do? Yeah, so I guess technically I'm from Baltimore, Maryland at the moment. And uh, I just travel around the world and lead worship in different churches or venues or wherever will have me. And how long have you been yeah. doing that? I've been leading worship for over a decade because I'm kind of old. and uh, But I've been traveling um, and doing this for about four years. I mean, I've met a few more recently, but I haven't met like a lot of people that do like traveling worship leading. So how did that yeah. kind of get started? What made you like get into traveling? I played, as I sometimes say, I played real music before that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I traveled around, like I'm from Virginia, so I traveled around Virginia when I was younger playing music in different bands and doing like the emo acoustic stuff. Um, so I always had a heart for, for touring in a way. So I just kind of got into leading worship one time, kind of randomly at a small group, I think. And I just always felt like traveling was going to be a part of my life. And so I just kind of explored the idea of, of being a, kind of a touring worship leader, and um, which is cool because that's really what God has anointed me to do. It takes a different kind of anointing to be like the same guy at the same church week after week, yeah. different type of, of, of gifting as well. And I don't necessarily have that at the moment, and I think that's cool because this is you know what I've been doing full time. How did you like get connected with uh, the different churches that you go to? And is it like any particular denomination or just kind of whoever? No, we, I do stuff with lots of denominations. I mean, I come from a charismatic background, charismatic movement, Pentecostal church background. Um, so I do a lot of stuff with um, with charismatic churches, but we do a lot of stuff with like Methodist church, Episcopal church, Presbyterian churches, Baptist churches. Just It kind of runs the gamut. And uh, I mean, at the beginning, it was all about cold calling and and whatnot, like calling people up and saying, hey, we're going to be in your area, would you host us? But then it's kind of built from that into just building relationships with different people around the around the, around the the states and around the world, and just really going in and making sure that they realize, like, I, I'm coming in to be a part of what you're doing, not coming in to show you up or be a rock star of any kind. Mm-hmm. Like, like, do you ever get uh, responses from churches like, well, we already have a worship band? We do, and honestly, like, it comes from a lot of the bigger megachurch style people because mm-hmm. um, they have a lot already going on. And it's it's kind of interesting, like, well, we've got a worship leader. And I think a lot of that comes down to realizing that there's different anointings upon different people and everyone has their own gifting that they can bring and it can still, you know, it's not necessarily, it might, you might have a lot of talent already inside of your church and you might not need more talent. And, but it's in, like, I don't come in offering my talent. I come in offering the anointing of what God can do through me. So I never come in as a as a talented musician because I think, you know, there are far more talented people than I am and or I'll ever be. There are people who can play worship music better than I do, but I know that I've I've seen God use me in, in great ways through leading worship. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's that's what I try to convey through, you know, phone calls or or FaceTime or email somehow. Yeah. <laughs> There's something really valuable, I think, like a little bit, uh, maybe like maybe risky in some type of way, but like really valuable about having someone that's not from your community, like come in and like whether they speak or just like present their art or just like do yeah. life with you in some type of way where you just like, yeah, you're coming from a different background, from a different region. 
uh, have probably mm-hmm. experienced God in maybe like a slightly different way um, to just kind of yeah. share experiences. I love traveling and I love going to different places. It kind of, I think it's along the same lines of it just expands your worldview. You see things new, like, like you were saying, different perspective. So do you travel by yourself or do you have bandmates that travel with you like full time? It depends on what we're doing. Um, what's feasible. A lot of it has to do with financial situations. Um, you know, last year I did about 190 events and I was on the road for over 200 days with travel days and whatnot in between. And, I would say 98% of what we did last year was for free or a love offering. Wow. So it really it really depends on who is available and money-wise what is available because I, I like to make sure that the people who are playing for me are well taken care of. So, yeah, I mean, it just varies. But uh, I usually try to have at least one other person with me, um, you know, someone who helps you keep keeps you awake on the long drives at night or, you know, keeps conversation going and, you know, keep, helps keep you keeps you accountable. True. And uh, not because things can get kind of weird. So, yeah, you know, dealing with people. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird thing. And, and especially when you get to festival life, even Christian festivals, it can, you got to have accountability. You know, you got to be a really strong person. You got to have a strong accountability with you as well. So, mm-hmm. even if the person doesn't play for me, I like for there to be someone with me. So, Aaron, um, I wanted to have you on just to kind of share your heart as far as like worship goes. And um, there's a story that you told when you performed here about being yeah. in, it was in France. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering if you'd be willing to share that, like even from, from like the, the background of that trip. Yeah. So um, October of 2015, we, I was set up to do about a 22 day tour in, uh, in England and all of the United Kingdom. And we were partnering with another worship band over there. And we were supposed to, together we were going to do about, you know, 10 or 12 events, I think, together as a, as a group, kind of like a tour package in a sense. Um, and they were going to book it. And uh, so I, I left those 10 or 12 days open and just kind of focused on, you know, my relationships that I had already over there with kind of booking stuff. And... Um, so uh, about the day before we were flying out, uh, I finally get a hold of those guys again. And turns out that, you know, life gets really busy. You know, you got kids, you got a family life, got really busy. And they were unable to book any of those events, those 10 to 12 events that we were supposed to do together. And so I was kind of frustrated. And we flew out anyway. And about the same, the same day that I found out that none of those events were booked, a friend of mine who lives in Bristol, England, called me up. We were chatting, and he's like, hey, I've got a friend, actually, who's going over to Calais, France, to a refugee camp called The Jungle. Would you want to go? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, we ended up going over there and um, had to go from one drive from where we were based out of. We had to rent a car and drive about three and a half hours to get to where we were meeting everybody, take a ferry from Dover, England, across to Calais, France, and there was a lot of confusion getting to meet with the group of folks that we were going with. Like, we didn't have cell phones because it costs so much money to have a cell phone in a foreign country, you know, to extend your plan to international or whatever. Um, so we didn't have a phone, and we were driving on the wrong side of the road in a foreign country. <laughs> and uh, we hit tons of traffic, got a little lost, and had no way of communicating with anyone. And we had been trying to get a hold of people for like an hour and 20 minutes because no one was where we were supposed to meet them. And we were going around a roundabout in downtown Dover, England, and I was really frustrated, and I pretty much just said, whatever, I'm over it, I'm going home, God, this is your trip, whatever, if this is going to work out, you're going to work it out. And so we were driving, and then we were like, okay, let's try one more time, so we down a road, and there happened to be a telephone booth, stereotypical red English telephone booth, and it turns out that the phone booth actually had Wi-Fi, yeah. which obviously what you would expect in a phone booth is Wi-Fi. So I was able to connect with that. And once I connected, I got an iMessage from uh, the person we were supposed to be meeting. He said, this is where we are. Come meet us, and we're going to go. So we get over there and meet them. Finally, we ended up missing our ferry. So we took a ferry in the morning. And uh, on the ferry ride over there, um, we were in the van, and, and uh, JJ was kind of prepping us. He had been over one time. He was the guy who was leading his name, JJ. Um, and he was kind of prepping us for what it was going to be like which it's kind of impossible to prep you for what a refugee camp is going to be like. 
but we were told that there were no women and children inside of the refugee camp and that the French government had built, had built special housing for them um, for just women and children to go be a part of. And we were like, okay, cool. So we get in and um, the refugee camp is kind of like, it's off of what we would call an exit on an interstate. Like, I don't know what they call it there, but they don't call it that. And um, it's actually, it's closed down from like 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Like, you can't get off that exit. Like, the French police are guarding it and blocking it off. Um, so we got there and we parked, walked up to the refugee camp. And, like, Calais is a, it's a resort town. Like, people go there. It's on the ocean. And they go there to vacation. There's hotels everywhere. There's restaurants and all this stuff. And the refugee camp is about a quarter mile off of the water where the where the ferries come in and bring all the tourists and uh so that's what the town is like it's very much first world very much like there's money there but right when you get to the refugee camp man it's it's immediately a third world country dirt roads just tents and tarps that people are living in all over the place you know and it's found out when we came back that there are a few thousand people that are living inside of the refugee camp about how big of an area is that in you know, it's really hard to say, but I remember standing on a hill, and almost as far as I could see, there was tents yeah. and tarps. So, I mean, it's probably, you know, a couple mile radius, I would guess. Yeah. Um, and it's got, around the entire radius perimeter of the of the camp is a, is a barbed wire fence that's like 10 to 12 feet high with, the, with French police patrolling at 24 hours a day. Um, so we walk in, and... And right when we walk into the camp, there's a line of porta johns or porta pots or whatever mobile toilets <laughs> on the left that are kind of overflowing liquid into the dirt road. Huh. And get, you know, you get hit with that smell immediately of just you know people's business. And the first people that we meet are three little kids that are probably like you know from the, between the ages of like four to seven. And this was like really, really, really shocking to us because we were told there were no kids there. Yeah. And so that's the first people we meet were two girls and a little boy. On One of them was on a scooter and they were just so happy to see us. And they were like hugging us and just talking and talking and talking. Like, I mean, we're right outside of the Porter Johns, you know, and standing in that smell. They're not even bothered by it. They're just happy to see other people. Then we walk around. We spent most of part of Saturday just kind of walking around and taking in the camp. There are people from all over the world, from uh, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Eritrea, um, and they all have kind of segregated themselves by country. Hmm. We met up with a guy named Mana, who lives inside of the refugee camp, and he was kind of our guide, and he was an Ethiopian Christian um, who JJ had met the other time previous, and some of them, like a lot of them actually happen to have cell phones, and there's certain sections in the refugee camp that has Wi-Fi. So they're able to sort of communicate with the outside world in a way. Um, so we were able to call Mana and meet up with him. And he took us over to a tent that a church from London had provided for an Ethiopian evangelical church to start up. So the tent had just been put up and they were celebrating and they invited us to come celebrate with them. And uh, the folks from London had brought in like this uh, Ethiopian dish and they, you know, they provide, they gave us food and we hung out with them for a bit. And then we walked around again, um, just kind of again when we wanted to take it in and we did that for a few hours and we we're getting ready to leave and Mana wouldn't let us leave he wanted us to go and meet some sisters who were from Eritrea that he knew and so we obliged and we we went with him and it was cold and it was dark it, you know you're right it was October so it's the fall in Europe quite chilly and it's right on the water so it's really windy and um, so we went with him to where these sisters live and it was three of them and they you know they took us in and and they provided for us. They they took care of us, and it was like the one of the most humbling experiences of my entire life. That um, I went to go sit down on the floor, and they wouldn't let me. They had a mattress, and they told me to sit on the mattress. And they made us tea and brought us cookies. And I was like, "Holy crap! What is happening right now? Like, we're here to to give to you, and you're giving back to us. And like, I just can't fathom this kind of care for other people." And, you know, we kind of heard their stories of how they came over uh, from Eric, from Africa in makeshift boats. And Mana told us a story of how he came over in a boat that he was in the bottom and there was a hole that you could see light through while it was going in the water of the sea, you know. 
seeing light in a boat is not something that you want. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and they told us a story of a young boy, 13 year old who lived in a tent behind them who the week before he had jumped a fence to get out of the refugee camp, to go to a train tunnel, to jump on a train, to hopefully make it to the United Kingdom or Germany. And when he was trying to jump on this moving train, he was crushed and killed. Yeah. And so it's just this really eye-opening thing that, like, man, life was so terrible in their homeland that they were wanting, that they were willing to risk it coming from, you know, coming through the sea in these really sketchy boats. And then to live in this refugee camp to hopefully jump a fence, not get caught by the French police, and then jump onto a moving train. Yeah. Like, all that seemed better than living where they were. Living in a tent on a dirt ground with no heating seemed so much better than where they were. Um, so it's kind of a long story. Um, so we came back on Sunday, and I was able to. I was invited to lead worship at the first ever church service at the Ethiopian Evangelical <laughs> Church. Really and it, it was one of the coolest things, man. We ended up kind of going song for song. And like I would play a song, and then the Ethiopian uh, Ethiopians would play a song. And it was, all they had was just their voices and a drum. And they were so happy and so joyful. And it was like, holy crap, like you're in a refugee camp and you're just this happy about Jesus. Now, you know, you're still happier about God than any place in America that I know of. Did many of the people speak English? No. <laughs> <laughs> this was something we were incredibly unprepared for. Found out in the Middle East, there's like, I think there's like 22 or more different languages spoken in the Middle East. Yeah. Oh, God. You know, we had a few people that could translate, but that was it. So then... And the pastor from London, he kind of, he spoke and there were some Iranian men who had come into the tent and there was someone translating. He was kind of telling, he just told the story in life of Jesus and how, you know, he lived, how he was fully human, he was fully God, but he also, you know, he died for our sins and he resurrected and he beat it, you know, he defeated death and hell and we can live with him in eternity. And after that, about four Muslim men came to know Jesus through that first ever so service sick. at that church. Yes. And it was really awesome. It was one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of. Um, after that, we just we split up into two different groups, and uh, I had my guitar. We were carrying around, walking around the refugee camp with no other purpose than saying, Holy Spirit, guide us where you need us to be. We had no agenda. And I was walking along, and a guy came up and grabbed my arm, and he pointed to the guitar, and he said, You come play music. And when a guy in a refugee camp grabs your arm, it's kind of intimidating, I'm not going to lie to you, because it's, you know, you're surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. You know, I would say that easily, you know, the high 90% of the people there were Muslim. Um, so we said, okay, well, I mean, we did say, Holy Spirit, take us where you need us to be. And this man is grabbing my arm. So we went with him. He said, you come play music. We have someone who sings. So we went over there and, uh, and it was on a corner of like the main dirt road and a dirt path. And he went in and he got the guy who said was a singer and this is, a, like I said it when I was at your house and I was telling everybody, like, this is a moment that's kind of, like, burned in my brain. And I hope I never forget it. But when that guy came out, the singer came out, um, it was, he was in his white tent and the door wasn't all the way open. He kind of came out hunched over. And when he came out, we met eye to eye. And he had, he had you know, like, salt and pepper colored long hair and a ponytail. He was wearing a, a, a dark sweater with blue jeans, white socks, and, like, those Nike sandals that soccer players wear. He very much looked like a dad. Um, <laughs> when I looked into this guy's eyes when we met, when he was coming out, we met eye to eye, I saw absolutely no life inside of his eyes. It was almost as if I was looking into a soulless person. And I shook his hand and I introduced myself. I said, my name's Aaron. And I believe that his name was Abed or Abdul, something with an A, because I remember it's Aaron. Um, and I shook <laughs> his hand and we met, you know, and, and then they immediately they were like, you play a song. So I played a song, and I don't remember what it was, but it was an old hymn, and I finished playing, and I kind of, you know, hit the last chord and just let it resound, and and then the singer, Abdul, um, whatever his name is, he started singing a song that was along the melody of what I was had already been singing, so I just kind of went and played along with him, and while I was singing, I was like, man, I can't help but think, what is he singing about? Because it was in a Middle Eastern language. I was like, well, maybe he's singing about his wife and kids he left or, or a family member who died due to the violence or something. It's like, or maybe he's singing about Allah. I don't know. Then I you know, kind of psyched myself. I was like, dude, you got to get out of that mindset. Just focus on what's happening in the moment. So he finished singing, and um, they told me to play another song. And I was like, guys, I don't know what song to play. And they were like, play Rihanna. 
(laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I don't know how to play Rihanna. Anything else? And then they said, play Eminem. And I was like, what is this? How do you know these names? Like, it made me kind of sad. That's what they knew of American culture. And so I I I didn't. Sad also (laughs) that you didn't happen to know them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, all I do is work, 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 work. (laughs) Oh, my Um, gosh. (laughs) um, So I started playing this song. And the first song that came to mind was just this simple song. Um, It just says, Holy Spirit, come breathe life into these bones. Holy Spirit, come breathe life into my heart. And I just started playing that. And it's kind of a slower song. And, and whatever, I was just playing. And a few minutes into it, I was really tired of it. I was like, they've got to be tired of it. It's just, you know, even though they don't speak the language, they know that it's repetitive and it's getting redundant. And so I went to stop playing and they wouldn't let me. They were like, no, keep playing. So I kept playing the song. And, and I look over and uh, the singer, Abdul, he grabbed the guitar case, my guitar case, and he started beating on it like it was a drum. And I was like, okay. All right. And so then I kept playing. And I looked, yeah, exactly. And I looked over at him. And in the, I could see a smile forming in the corner of his mouth. And this is the guy who looked like he had no life inside of his eyes. And he began to smile. Mm-hmm. And, and we made eye contact. And I smiled back at him. And I kept playing. And then the other guy started clapping. And as this was happening, and a larger group formed because everyone wanted to be around this happiness and this joy that was you know, taking place because it's not something that you commonly hear inside of this refugee camp. So we had probably about 25 to 30 people gathered around in this corner campsite area. Um, and we kept playing and, um, and then I still was kind of like, okay, well, let's be done playing. And I looked at JJ who was like, dude, just keep playing. And it was about that time I realized like when they were joining in, joining in with the clapping and the, and banging on the guitar case, I realized, man, I'm not just singing these words, but I'm speaking these words of Holy Spirit, come breathe life into these bones. I'm speaking these words into these people. And it was in that moment where I began to take it seriously. And a few minutes later, I hear Abdul, the singer started humming the melody of Holy Spirit come. This this Iranian Muslim who doesn't know Jesus began to hum the melody of Holy Spirit come, breathe life into my bones. And so I kept singing it, and I kept singing it. And other people started humming along with him. And next thing I know, Abdul is pronouncing the words Holy Spirit come. Hmm. And my mind is just literally being blown at this time that these guys are starting to say Holy Spirit come. And so, like, we were fervently, like, just started singing it over them, like, prayerfully declaring it over their lives. And eventually we stopped playing and began to tell them about how much Jesus loves them and how he cares for them and how he died for them. And we had someone interpreting who actually spoke one of the 22 languages. And um, <laughs> so we were, we were just saying, you know, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He cares for you more than anyone in this world ever has. And um, they were, you know, they were, in, they were listening intently to what we were saying and then started telling them about the hope that is found in relationship with Jesus Christ. And about this time when we started telling them about the hope that's found in Jesus, this group of men, Muslim men from Iran, from, yeah, from Iran, a lot of them began to tear up in their eyes. And I don't like emotion. So I felt myself tearing up, so I kind of went to look to my left, and this young girl had walked up, and she was listening, and um, her name was Miriam, and uh, when we were talking about the hope, I, I looked her in, that, in her direction to get away from teary eyes, and I look over, and tears are just streaming down her face, hearing about how much Jesus loves her and how there's hope found in Jesus. And it turns out she had been at the refugee camp for about two days, and she and her boyfriend came from Iraq, and they had made a 30 to 40 mile um, walked through the desert there wow. to get to a train, to get to a boat, to get to the jungle. So it was just this really wow. gnarly story of hers. Um, so then we said, man, we just we would love to pray for you guys. So we got them in a big group, and we just prayed over them. And then after we prayed, we said, if you would like that Jesus that we're talking about, if you would like that hope to live inside of you, if you'd like to have eternal life with Jesus, we would love to pray for you. And it kind of went silent. And then one guy raised his hand and he said, me, I want Jesus. And we prayed for that one guy right there. Then after we prayed for him, one by one, man after man began to lift their hand and say, I want Jesus. And in that moment, about 14 or 15 Muslim men came into new life in Jesus, including Miriam, who was standing to the left of me. So it was really cool when that happened. And then we got together and we prayed for them again as a group. And we did that. Another guy, a kind of a, a taller, skinnier Muslim 
guy he came up while we were praying and he was mocking what was happening like some of the people you know i was with charismatic people they were speaking in tongues praying in tongues and he was like oh, blah, 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 making fun of it and jumping around and i'm not gonna lie i kind of thought it was funny <laughs> so because it was like i don't think that's blasphemous or sacrilegious to think it was funny but uh we finished praying and he was walking away and uh my friend jj he's this you know big rugby player um really nice guy but he plays rugby so he's pretty stocky <laughs> yeah he looked at he looked in his direction yelled he said hey and the guy turned around and he, he looked terrified and jj started walking up to him like intently like you know, as we would say made a beeline to him and the guy was like terrified jj just threw his arms around him and said jesus loves you so much even though the guy was making fun of it, he said, Jesus loves you so much. And they began to talk and come to find out that this guy had some knee problems that has been keeping him from being able to walk really for months. And he had like a fake bandage on it. And he said, will you let us pray for you? And he agreed. So he came over and he sat down on like this big clear water jug and he pulled the bandage off of his knee and JJ knelt down, put his hand on his knee and said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And right when he said, be healed, this guy looked up at me with the largest eyes I've ever seen. He looked at me and he said, what magic is this? Because right when he said, name of Jesus, be healed, the pain went, went away instantaneously. And JJ looked at him and he said, it's not magic. This is Jesus. And he says, Jesus, yes, Allah. And JJ, being more of a man than I, <laughs> looked right in his eyes and he said, no, Allah's dead. This is Jesus. <laughs> and at that time, I was like, oh, we're dead. <laughs> but that, it was cool, man. It was just really cool to see, like, God heal people even though they don't know him, even though they yeah. don't believe in him, but instantaneously healed. And we saw some other people get healed. Um, and just, like, I mean, we were there for about 36 hours and had about 20 people come to Jesus. Wow. So, yeah. Google it was an amazing God. time, man. Dude, thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah, I know it was a long story. Oh, no, no, it's, <laughs> it's good, good. Good one, dude. I mean, totally worth that uh, downward spiral in the roundabout, huh? Yeah, <laughs> completely. <laughs> yeah. It's just wild just like to see and hear a lot of stories about like God working in just in the Muslim culture. Um, yeah. Like I went to uh, Uganda a few years back with one of my cousins. Yeah, there was just like, I don't know, such a hunger for God. Like we had a couple people just like on the streets, I think because we were just like white people and we stood out. Um, they like yeah. knew that we, they knew that we were there f like for a purpose, I guess, you know, um, just cause like we look so out of place, but had a couple of people just like come up to us and they said like, are you born again? Like that's what they refer to Christians in some areas. Um, and we we're like, yeah. And this, one dude in particular, he was just like, I want to know Jesus and I don't know how to know Jesus, you know? Um, and just like had that desire, but just like didn't know any Christians. Um, and then we actually like got a video of it and it was the coolest thing in the world. Um, we went to see this uh, witch doctor um, out in like the one of the villages in the area. Um, he had actually, a former witch doctor, he had actually come to Christ um, around that time period. And um he still had like these six huts up in his yard that he mm -hmm. built as physical homes for demons that he used to worship. Wow. Um, so we went out there just to talk with him and meet him and just hear his story. Um, so he, he told us his testimony, the pastor translated for us and it was just a really cool thing. Um, but two of his sons were there. One of them, like was just like listening intently as his dad spoke and um, was like asking us questions, asking the pastor questions. Um, and he actually like was really curious um, and like wanted to know God. Um, the other son, the whole time we were talking was kind of like off in the corner laughing at us, kept kind of like shaking his head. And it, he, he just like thought, thought it was just ridiculous what his dad was saying and um, the dad actually was saying that he wanted to destroy the, uh, the huts that he had built, but his sons had threatened to kill him. Not so much like, we don't want you to do that, but more so like a genuine fear of what would happen because they've seen very real spiritual things happen. Um, yeah. where they're just like, no, you don't, you don't tear those down, you know, like 
bad things will happen. Yeah, so we ended up like praying for the the one brother who was listening at first and like gave his heart to Christ. The other guy, um, you know, he was just like laughing, had his arms crossed, and at one point he was just like, he was just like, you know, me, I'm I'm Muslim, and he was just like, all of this, he just like was laughing about it and stuff, um, <laughs> and uh, he was just like, no, no, Allah, Allah, um, but it was it was the wildest thing to like see, just like. I mean, it to it, to me and my cousin, just like during and after, we were like, "What the crap just happened?" Because it was just like <laughs> yeah, so dude. so clearly Holy Spirit move. Um, the guy ended up like just like talking to us a little bit more and more, and um, he ended up coming to this point of just saying like, "Do you know what would happen to me if I if I came to Jesus?" Um, he was just like. The, the other Muslims, if they see me on the, on my way to, to a Christian church, like they will beat me. Um, so like it totally came across like he was, he was just saying like, you know, it's not worth the risk. And then he says, yeah. he says, but I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid because I, if I have Jesus and it was wow. just like, Dang, just a couple of minutes ago, you're like laughing about this whole thing. Like, um, but just very, very plainly, like God pulling on his heart and breaking down walls. So got to pray yeah. with a guy, left him with a Bible, and it was just Dude. one of the wildest things. Yeah, that's awesome. I've heard um, <clears throat> I've heard reports about uh, dreams that people in Iran are having of, of this man dressed in white that they've been able to identify. That is Jesus in their dreams. Yeah. And so they go to Christians or missionaries that they know, and they say, I've seen him. I've seen the man in white, and I want him. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. One of the things that drives me to travel around the world and lead worship and do this kind of stuff is that, you know, the Bible tells us that in the last, like God says in the Bible, like in the last days, I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. And that's literally what's happening right now. Saying your old men will see visions, your young men will dream dreams or vice versa, maybe. And that's what's happening. These these people are, are receiving the spirit of God, even though they don't know him. Their, their flesh that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't know God as their savior is still is still receiving the spirit, still feeling the spirit, still seeing his dreams, still getting the visions of him, and they're getting saved through that. And right now, I've been told by multiple sources that the church in Iran is growing faster now than in the history of the world. That's uh, crazy, dude. Yeah. So there's definitely there's definitely a stirring, there's definitely an awakening, and it's all over the world. And that's why I do what I do because I think we're we're on the cusp, we're on the brink of seeing a revival and an awakening like this world has never seen. Like we've seen, you know, Brownsville revival. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that yeah. Azusa Street revival. Those things that have launched, you know, other, you know, denominations and things like that. But those were confined to those areas. It was Brownsville. It was Azusa Street. And now we were seeing it break out around the world, whether it's Christian or not. They're, they're seeing Jesus. They're feeling Jesus. They're coming to know him. They're coming to know Jesus without even knowing any Christians, you know, like you said. And it's just a really cool thing, man, because we, I, I'm not an eschatologist. I don't, I don't spend a lot of my time studying the end times because I feel like, you know, God knows. <laughs> yeah. And that's cool. Um, and I don't need to argue about it. I don't need to know it, when he's coming back because I'm not going to know. Um, but he is pouring about his pouring out his spirit upon everyone right now, and I believe that is the greatest sign that we are in the end times, whether it be ten years, twenty years, or another thousand years. Right. It's the end, and that's it's it's really what drives me into doing what we, what I do, because I believe that there is a revival that's going to be across the world and across denomination and across culture. So sick. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Not to get on that whole topic of that, but like everything we will need to know on Judgment Day, we'll know on Judgment Day. <laughs> everything you need to know about the second coming of Christ, we'll find out when he gets here. <laughs> but in the meantime, yeah. like we're called to invite people into the wedding feast. And I feel like that's so forgotten. Like, you know, even yeah. in our walks, it becomes more about having the right answers, knowing the right things. But our call is to invite people in. Like, you know, it's not even super centered around necessarily like cultural i guess like christianity but more like opening out and inviting people into the doors rather than like closing them on people yeah i mean i think it comes down to keeping the main thing the main thing and the main thing right now is is going and reaching yeah 
So Aaron, I'm, I'm, there are a whole lot of things we could say about, about that whole experience, um, to delve <laughs> into. Um, but I guess if, if you were to kind of narrow it down to like, I don't know, like how, how did that really shape your understanding of like who God is or like what it means to follow him? Like the entire time I've been traveling and leading worship, I've pretty much said like, you know, I do, I'm a musicianary. I do this as a, as a missionary, like, and that was the first time that it felt truly missional. Like I was reaching out to people who didn't know Jesus, completely didn't know Jesus. Like we do stuff like I've led worship in bars multiple times, but this was people who didn't know Jesus, people who were anti-Jesus, who were Muslim, who were Allah is God. And it was really cool just like really be thrown into that culture. And it just, and again, it really drew that, it made that scripture real for me, that prophecy real for me about about God pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. Um, it made it like, I mean, we hear it like we know the Bible is real, but when there's tangible evidence of that right in front of us, it really awakens our spirit to the reality of scripture, the reality of the word of God. Um, so in that way, it, it, um, it changed my life. It also caused me to want to be bolder and more intentional. Like when I see somebody with an ailment, like, man, I want to pray for them because man, in the same way that God healed that, that man in the refugee camp, he can heal them in Baltimore. He can heal them in Detroit on the street without any fancy words, except for in the name of Jesus be healed with mm -hmm. that faith, knowing that through those words, he can be healed where she can be healed. So I, I, one thing that I kept thinking about the whole time was just like availability. Um, like with, with that whole trip, I still get caught up into it some some of the time, but I used to in particular just get so like defeated when plans would fall through for me or like when yeah. I really look forward to like getting together with somebody and then they'd flake out at the last minute. Um, There's a time period where that happened just like continually um, <laughs> and it would just like really bum me out. Um, but there's just one point in per particular that was really on my heart that like like pretty much the fact that my plans fell through made me makes me available you know um and yeah. just like in that moment instead of being like man this sucks and i'm gonna be bored now just having that heart of like all right god like you might have something else for me like and i believe that you do have something else for me um but just wanting yeah. to be available to that and i don't know i I've, I've just kept coming back to that over and over through your story yeah, yeah definitely and that was the realization like when we when the ferry pulled back into Dover and I got in the car to drive back to where we were based out of for the tour, that's what I was thinking. I was like, man, like that was clearly God. He ruined our plans. God ruined plans, but in the best way. Yeah. Like, cause it was right after about three weeks after we got back, um, we were actually at take hold fest in grand rapids there. And, um, it was Friday night and we were in like, you know, right when you walk into take hold, the old space, right in there i guess they had that like the lamb stage is what they were calling it or yeah. something and it was like but there were so many people in there and i was thinking like the door was wide open and i was thinking like man this like someone could easily walk in here and just start shooting people and i was like holy crap that's super awkward and then i get on facebook and um and i see like that paris is being attacked and one of the things that actually happened was that a group of armed men walked into a concert venue and started shooting people and i really i think that god brought that to my attention and the refugee i get a message in our, our group message on facebook from those of us who were on the trip to the refugee camp that there was also someone who uh someone had attacked the refugee camp and set it on fire that, um, that same camp. so yeah. yeah and so i was i was watching a live feed of flames that were like two-story high engulfing this refugee camp that we were just in declaring the goodness of Jesus and, and the hope that's in Jesus. And it really hit me. And it was, you know, like right after that whole Paris attack happened, like in the States, like the refugee crisis became more profound and there was far more argument about it. And refugees are all terrorists and every, like we can't let them in. And I think that God had ordained us to be there so that we could be a voice of reason and say, this is the face of a real refugee. Mm -hmm. this is what the crisis really looks like. I, it looks like this picture of these little girls that I have on my phone who are just full of joy, but in the background is nothing but trash. Yeah. 
that's the face of refugees is the mom who's struggling to keep her kids alive, to feed her kids. And so I really think like what you're saying, like God can, can take our plans and, and set it aside, ruin them in a sense for us to be where we need to be at the right time, but we need to be there. Cool thing too, man, is like the work that was done in the hearts of those people, man, like the fire can't take that away. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, so that's, yeah. that's, that's super sick. And it's, it's going to spread exponentially just because the spirit of God is in it. Uh, kind of like passage fire. Says, yeah, dude, you know, it's, it's internal. Like, you know, um, he who began a good work is uh, faithful to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So, I mean, yep. that's Amen. always super assuring, you know? Yeah, dude, it's it's really cool. Um, we were When we were leaving the refugee camp, we um, we were praying, actually, with a church from Paris. We got together and we were praying, and, and like, everyone was in a big group, and I was kind of standing behind the, the circle, and I was just looking out from, we were at the church, the church tent, and I was looking out over the bit of refugee camp that I could see, and I just saw this vision of this, the people, the people from this church reaching so many folks um, in the refugee camp that they were getting saved, and this this church was becoming like a missions hub. They were saving, they were training, and they were going out and they were sending people to to um, to start new churches throughout the camp, so they could reach the people from their homeland. Because you know we're we're told to go to the ends of the earth. And, and reach and to proclaim the gospel. And the cool thing about being right there is that the ends of the earth have come to you. Mm. So it was really cool to see the vision of that becoming like a missions hub of sending out missionaries, local missionaries of that refugee camp to the, to the other countries that are represented there in the refugee camp. And I really believe that with work and with prayer that that's going to happen. And I look forward to being back there. We're planning, I'm planning on being back there in uh, August or September. And kind of seeing that how the work has continued, and 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 sewing further into that. That's really rad. Yeah, but, dude. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me and and talking with me yeah, about this sure. stuff. I love to tell the story. I've got a video kind of telling the story coming out soon. Hopefully that we filmed in L.A. So hopefully that'll be done soon. Yeah, definitely. Let me know. Shoot it to us, dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. To me, it's really valuable to travel around a little bit and just like see what God's doing yeah. in Georgia and Maryland and Virginia, but like yep. on in that level, you know, like seeing what God's doing in the hearts of Muslim people in France, you know, yeah. like, absolutely. Know. Well, dude, thanks a bunch for sharing. And, um, yep. so, so what's, uh, what's coming up soon for you? Like, uh, are you touring again soon and how can people find out what you're up to? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I'm always on the road. I never really consider it touring because we don't like, I don't do it in the sense of like, you know, a normal musician, yeah. but, uh, but, uh, yeah, I've always got a full schedule. Um, and you can just check it out on like, you know, I've got a Facebook page, Aaron Long Music, got an Instagram, Aaron Long Music, got a website, AaronLongMusic.com. All of that. I don't have schedule and whatnot, but we've got some stuff coming up. Um, kind of low key for a little bit. Just got to, um, doing a weekend and here in Virginia um, next month, just a weekend of worship and prayer and fasting. So we're going to be leading for that. That'll be super fun. And then um, I think we're doing about six weeks on the road um, between uh, June and July and then a um, couple weeks off and then about a month or a month and a half in England and Europe. And then, uh, you know, we're going to hit the studio, do some recording in November and um, do a new full live EP so all right man thanks a ton man we'll, we'll yeah man you guys have a great night yep, talk to you soon all right later see you, later. Later. See you guys yep the holy spirit man the lord does as he pleases the lord flexed his sovereign sovereign muscles like <laughs> overseas you know in muslim territory which is clearly at times and can be pretty hostile but um kind of just encourages me man to like continue to preach the gospel no matter what my audience is like you know not to shy away or not to be fearful because like you know at the end of the day like love does conquer all things and like you know when telling people the gospel you're telling them that jesus loves them you're not telling them how to stop doing certain things or start doing certain things but that the father has his hand open in friendship towards them you know and that's always good news so like that that story, he's like, man, what kind of magic is this? Like experiencing the power <laughs> of healing is like crazy, crazy, crazy. So cool. 
it's it's easy to get so caught up in like just I don't know I guess seeing so many like discouraging things happen in the day to day yeah um and just like you know seeing seeing friends seeing family just walk away from their walks um or just you know get beat up by what's going on in life and in the world but just seeing that you know for one god is active here Mm -hmm. (laughs) very much um god is active in the hearts of people who have you know open hearts to receive um but just that he's doing things worldwide it's easy to lose sight of that a lot of the time Um, we're not seeing it regularly and just when it you know it takes a far different um manifestation a far different expression of him at work you know in different in different cultures because they have you know different mindsets even you know and a lot of time more availability to have an open heart um not distracted by the day day in day out of technology and all all this jazz yeah man um that like rips at our hearts i don't know i love it it's a beautiful thing dude Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing I think, too, it's kind of cool, like, you know, the Lord is, like, calling us into, like, a supernatural kind of life. And like you said, well, we get so used to seeing the mundane and when we hear stories about healings and things like that, we're like, oh, dude, that's awesome. But, like, you know, that's stuff that the Father has ready available for us right now if we're willing to step into it. And, you know, that's just kind of awesome to know. Just in the name of Jesus, be healed. Mm -hmm. Legit. Well, thanks so much for listening. Um, we're going to put some links up for Aaron's stuff if you want to uh, find out when he's traveling through your town. Um, I know he, yeah, he travels a whole lot. I'm sure he'll probably be nearby anyone who lives in the Midwest area at some point in time. And um, also, I'll post the video of that guy in Uganda um, who came to Christ Um Hopefully the podcast provided some context for that. Really rad. And um, I don't know, it was just cool to see like God break down walls that guy had up in that moment. Um, Mm -hmm. So um, if you want to follow us, uh, subscribe on iTunes or Feedly or check us out on the website, letgoddie.com. We have a few videos up there. um, So some older ones um, looking into making some changes to that in the near future. And as always, we appreciate your time. And uh, until next time.
to describe just who Just who you are. You are holy, holy, holy. You are holy. Oh